All right, we're going to jump right into our Christmas series. We've been in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking through the Gospel of Mark, the first two chapters, uh, chapters one and two of uh, Mark. After, or excuse me, let me correct that. We're talking Matthew, not Mark. Matthew, first and second chapters of Matthew. Typically, when we celebrate Christmas, we want to turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke uh, is typically the story you read for the Christmas story because it includes the fun stories about the angels and about the shepherds. And while Matthew doesn't include those things in his Gospel, he does include some things that are just extremely important for us to understand. And so we have titled this series, Finding God in the Unexpected, because what we find in the book of Matthew is time and time and time and time again, God shows up in places and in people that we would least expect. I mean, if we were to write our own story of how God would show up, what you find in Matthew is not what you would write down. And so God shows up repeatedly in in time and and in places that you would least expect. And so we looked a couple weeks ago, and we looked in Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, and we looked at the genealogy of Jesus. And we really, we saw how how God's genealogy, God's family history, Jesus' family history, man, God showed up through some screwed up people in that family history. Then we saw last week how God shows up in our disappointments, how the disappointments that we experience in life, how sometimes we feel these disappointments just are going to have the end of us. But God shows up in our disappointments. And today I'm excited. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, moving to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at the story of the Magi. Now, this story is unique to Matthew. You don't find it in any of the other, other Gospels. And oftentimes, when you look at your nativity sets, your nativity scenes, this story is kind of lumped in with everything you see in Luke. You see, you know, you've got the shepherds, and you've got the angel, and then you've got the magi, which don't really fit into that same exact story, but it's there, so that's what we're going to be looking at today. We've called the message today, Finding God Above Our Heads, because how did the magi find Jesus? Through the star that was above their heads. And so we're going to call today, Finding God uh, Above Their Heads. And so if you have a Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 2. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up and uh, somebody would love to come and bring you one of these Bibles. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. If I can get, Ben, would you mind grabbing some Bibles and taking those around? Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 was going to be our text today. And uh, you can follow along in your Bible or it's also going to be on the screen. And here's what the text says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And that's God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be here today to to worship you. And Lord, that we have the opportunity to open up your word. That God, you speak through your word and we have the opportunity to hear from you today. God, I pray that we would understand that this isn't just a pastor who is coming to to tell us what he thinks. But God, we want to hear your word today. So God, I pray that you would put the distractions out of our minds. God, I pray that you would allow us to lean in now. That we would hear from you. God, I pray as, as a pastor, Lord, that you would help me to step out of the way. That God, you are the one that is speaking today. God, that you are the one that people will worship and glorify today. God, I pray that you would meet us right where we are. God, you know what we need to hear today. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Before we get into the story, there's a few things we've got to understand about this text. And first, we've got to talk about the Magi. Now, when you look at this text, we don't learn a lot about these Magi or these wise men. But we do know that they were wise men, right? Because if they were wise women, instead of men, they wouldn't have ever stopped and asked for directions. They would have known, or they would have stopped and asked for directions long before. And they would have showed up on time to help deliver the baby. And they would have brought gifts, not like gold and frankincense and myrrh, but they would have brought like diapers and casseroles. And, and, and there really would have been peace in the world if these were really wise women, right? Anybody give me something here? All right. Honestly, when when we look at this text, there really isn't a lot of information that we know about these magi or these wise men. I mean, who who are these dudes? Traditionally, uh, Christian tradition has said that these wise men were kings. But this merely becomes legend because the only thing we find from the scripture is verse 1 describes them as being wise men or being magi. Which means they were really some sort of combination of of wise men and, and priests probably from Persia. The idea that they became kings emerged later down in in history. We don't know that. All we know is that they were magi or wise men. Uh, Traditionally, another thing that we we see is when you look at your nativity sets, you always see that there was three wise men, right? There's always three of them. But again, the text doesn't say there was three of them. I mean, there could have been two guys. The reason that we have concluded is there's three is because they bring three gifts. The gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. And so you're thinking they'd have only, you know, three people carrying those three gifts. But it could have been two people carrying those three gifts. It could have been 22 people carrying those gifts. We don't know. The text does not actually say. And also, one of the other things we don't know is we don't know the exact timeline of when this story actually happened. I mean, we look at our nativity sets, and you see the baby Jesus in the manger, and you see the shepherds, and you see the angel, and you see the magi. But we don't know exactly when this story happened. Most scholars guess that Jesus was born uh, between 4 and 6 BC. I know for you kids, you're like, 
Jesus is born before Christ, really? That's another story. We'll get into that some other time. But likely after Jesus was born, sometime after Jesus was born, these magi show up maybe a year or two later. In fact, in verse 11 kind of leads to that because in verse 11 it says that the magi find Jesus and his family. They're staying at a house. They're not showing up right when Jesus was born in the stable or in the cave. They show up in a house. And so that nativity scene you have, it's great and, and, and use it, but maybe it's a little different than, than, than that. By the time the Magi arrived, the family had settled in and, and had been living there for a period of time. And that's why later on in chapter 2, we see that King Herod uh, orders all the children ages 2 years and under to be killed because he wants to make sure he has captured the time frame that Jesus would have been born. And so Jesus, this story would have happened a year or two after Jesus was born. And then we begin to wonder, well, what about this star? You know, how does that star work? How did this star lead these magi, these wise men, from the east all the way to Jerusalem? I mean, how did this star lead these magi on this little five-mile walk south from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem? And how did this star, how did it stand over the place where the child was? That just doesn't seem common, doesn't seem, and we begin to wonder, how did these things happen? The answer is simply, we don't know how this happened. Matthew doesn't tell us. There's all sorts of explanations depending on who you talk to. Some people will say, well, you know, it was some sort of comet. Other people will say it was some sort of planetary alignment that caused everything just to be just perfect to show this what looked like a star. Some people say it was a supernova. Some people say it was some sort of miraculous light. But honestly, we don't know because the text doesn't tell us so. See, what happens sometimes is, is what, especially when we read the Bible, we get stuck trying to explain how things happened. We, we, we get stuck and we're trying to say, well, well, this is how that star hovered over where the baby was born. And we want to we have all these explanations. And sometimes it's kind of like this. Sometimes we can get lost. Sometimes we can miss the forest because of the trees. And if we spend all of our time trying to explain what's happening with a star, we miss what the star is all about. We miss what the star is really pointing us to. I mean, in this text, there's a lot of things that Matthew doesn't tell us. There's a lot of things that we want to know about the Magi and about the star. But, but here's the thing. I think Matthew's main point isn't necessarily giving us all the details and, and explaining everything so that we have no questions as to how this happened. Really, what Matthew is trying to convey here is what the star really meant. Which is that God has set his son Jesus into the world. Emmanuel, God with us. That God's plan to give us hope, to give us freedom, to give us salvation. God's plan is in motion. And ultimately, because of the star, it's supposed to point us to how we are to respond to the good news of Jesus' birth. So let's not get confused and let's not get distracted trying to explain things away. Let's try and say, Jesus, what is the star really pointing us to? So what I want to do this morning is I don't want to explain the Magi. I don't want to explain the star. But what I want to do is look and to see what the star represented. What the star should mean to us. What it's appearing signified to the people of that day. And what that star's appearing signifies to us today. And then specifically I want to look at three character groups in this story. There was three different character groups that we read. There was the Magi. 
there was King Herod, and then there was the scribes and the chief priests and the religious leaders. We want to look and see three specific ways that these people responded to the news that this star represented. So let's go through this. These magi, these, these magi, these wise men, these are non-Jews. These are pagans. These are people who have come from the east from a far-off distance. And they arrive in Jerusalem. And in verse 2, we see them ask a question. And verse 2, it says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. Wherever these magi are, wherever they are from, wherever they were, they notice something new. They notice a new star in the sky. And they follow that star looking for this newborn king. And, and did, you notice, did you notice that the magi just told us why this star uh, is in the story. The Magi just told us what this star represents. They said, they said, we have come to worship the newborn king of the Jews. We have, come, we have seen his star rise. We have come to worship the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the Emmanuel God with us. See, this star, this star was God's revelation to us. This star was God's revelation of Jesus' birth. Now, see, we, we believe that the Bible is God's perfect word. We believe that God reveals himself through the Bible and that everything we need to know about God and about how to worship God and about how to follow God can be found in God's word, the Bible. We absolutely believe that. And while God reveals himself through the Bible, God also will reveal himself in other special ways. I mean, we've, we've talked about this, about God's sovereignty the past couple of weeks, about how God orchestrates the world and the universe for God's purposes to make sure that his son is known and to make sure his son, Jesus, is worshipped. God's sovereignty over the world allows God to make things happen so that his perfect plan is revealed, so that we would see and we would know who he is and that what he says is true. In fact, you see this several times throughout the Christmas story. In, in, in the Gospel of Luke's telling of the Christmas story, we see God influenced the entire Roman Empire so that the census comes at exactly the right time to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy that the virgin would give birth and a son, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And again, here in Matthew, we see God influencing the stars to get these foreign pagan magi to Bethlehem so that they can worship the newborn king. So this star, this star is God breaking into our world, proclaiming something marvelous. This is God's revelation. It's God's revelation of Jesus' birth. God chooses to use a star to reveal his son, Jesus Christ, to reveal the Messiah, to reveal the Savior of all mankind, to reveal the hope for the world, to reveal the hope for our lives. God uses a star to tell the whole world, he's here. He's here. It's happening now. My plan is in motion. God uses that star. And these magi, they notice the star and they follow it. And it leads them to, to Jerusalem where they ask where they can find this Messiah, this king of the Jews. Verse 3 continues the story. And he says, after they asked this question, King Herod, when he heard this, he was troubled. 
and all of Jerusalem with him. See, Herod was king at that time, and he was a bad man. He was a bad man. He, he hears this talk of the newborn king, and it truly freaks him out. Because a new king would be a threat to his kingship, be a threat to his power, be a threat to his control. Herod is known as being a shrewd and a cruel king. He ruled as a tyrant. In fact, he killed some of his sons and his wife because he felt they were a threat to his power. This guy was so consumed with his power and his influence that anything that would rise up and be a potential uh, threat to his power, he was going to destroy. So this, these magi showing up saying, there's this newborn king, is a big deal to Herod. So verse 4, Herod asked these religious leaders, the scribes, about where this Christ was to be born. Notice, notice that Herod knows who this baby is. The wise men, they said, hey, where's this newborn king of the Jews? And Herod knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows that they are talking about the Christ, the Messiah, the, the one whom the world has been waiting for ever since the Garden of Eden when sin first entered into the world. See, one of the things that interests me about this story is have you ever been in a situation where you're, where you're with a group of people and, and you're all in the same place and the same event is happening before you, but not everybody catches it? You know, you're, you're in this place, everybody's there, and you're, you're like, man, did you see this? And you're like, no, I didn't. We went to a baseball game a couple years ago, a Seattle Mariners baseball game. And the LA Angels were playing. It was in August. And uh, we're at this game. It was great. We brought some of the youth group kids, and we're just enjoying ourselves. And I'm sitting next to my brother-in-law, and, and we're watching the game. And, and, and cell phones, right? Cell phones. Twitter, Facebook, yeah. And, and, and I have to admit, I was looking down on my phone, and all of a sudden, everybody around me erupts into, you know, whoa! And I'm like, whoa, what what I miss? what I miss? And the, the Seattle Mariners right fielder, a guy I by the name of Andy Chavez, okay? There was a long ball hit out to right field, and he, he takes a couple steps, and he stops, and then he runs, and he jumps, and he leaps over the wall and makes the catch. Now, we were all there. And guess who missed the stinking catch? See, isn't it interesting how there are times when we can all be in the same place and the same thing can be happening before us, but we miss it completely. Another example of this is when we were growing up, I remember one time we went to North Bend. And anybody, do you remember the TV show Northern Exposure? Anybody remember that? Wasn't it filmed in North Bend? Cleelum? Cleelum. Cleelum. So, if you're not from Washington, the state, the great Northwest, go visit Cleelum. Watch, watch an episode of Northern Exposure and then go look at it, okay? So I remember as a family, we went to uh, Cleelum and my mom and my, my, my siblings were like, hey, look, there's the Twin Peaks from Northern Exposure, right? I'm like, I don't see it. They're like, it's right there. How do you not? It's right there. I'm like, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see it. See, in this story, I kind of get the picture that that's what's happening here in Matthew's gospel. I mean, the star is there. The star is up for everybody to see. It's, it's available for everybody. And, and the magi, the non-believers, the, the pagans, the outsiders, the people that we would least expect to notice what it means, they notice the star above their heads. And they follow it to worship 
God in the flesh, which, hence our title, finding God above our heads. But it seems that King Herod, it seems that the scribes and the, and the chief priests and the religious leaders, man, they have the same opportunity to see the star right above them, but they are oblivious to what's happening above their head. It's like they have tunnel vision to what is happening right before them, consumed with what's happening before their eyes, not noticing that God's revelation just said, the Messiah has now broken into the world. The Messiah is here to become one of us. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that star was like an interruption in their life. And they weren't willing to stop and to see what was happening. They just wanted to continue doing what they were doing, continue focused on what it is that they were focused on. The impression that this text leaves is that up until this time that the pagan magi show up, that neither Herod nor possibly the, the religious leaders had any clue about this star. Like they were blind and oblivious to the fact that the Son of God was born in their very backyard. And so these magi arrive and they start asking around. They start asking these questions. And soon each character group in our text, they, the religious leaders, King Herod, the magi, they all have a different response to the revelation that the Messiah has been born. They all have a different response to what the star meant. The first response you see is from the scribes and the chief priests. They respond with indifference. These people are people who do absolutely nothing about Jesus. Jesus is a non-entity in their lives. It says in verse 4, 4 through 6, and, and Herod, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he being Herod, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. These religious leaders, these scribes and chief priests, they tell Herod exactly what Herod wants to know, and that was it. That is back to business as usual. In light of the Son of God being born, you see a complete silence and inactivity by these religious leaders. Hey, the Messiah's been born. Okay, back to what we were doing before. Playing a little Xbox. Playing a little Madden 15. These religious leaders, out of all the people, they should have been the one more aware than anybody else of what was happening. They should have been the ones who were looking and waiting for the star to appear, for the Savior to be born. But it's like they've just got their tunnel vision. They don't see the star because they're so consumed with what's right in front of them. And when it comes to their attention, they ignore it. And they continue with life as usual. And you see, as the story unfolds, they have no interest in joining the Magi, in joining the wise men to go and find the Messiah in Bethlehem. They don't want to go and, and worship. They just go back to whatever they were doing beforehand. The second response you see is from King Herod. And it's a response of hostility. See, Herod is deeply threatened by the idea of this newborn king who might take his spot as king, who might be a threat to his power and his kingship that would take that power control away from Herod. 
And so Herod, due to his fear of losing his authority and his power, he tells a wise man in verse 8, he says, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Let's be clear here. Herod has no interest in worshiping Jesus. In fact, we find out later in the, in the end of chapter 2, of Matthew chapter 2, that when the Magi don't return to tell Herod where Jesus is, he gets mad. He gets angry. And he orders all of the male babies, all of the baby boys two years and, and younger who were born in Bethlehem to be murdered, hoping that he could end the threat to his rule and to his reign and to his kingship. And so here you have Herod who sees Jesus not as his savior, but Jesus as a threat to his power, as a threat to him having the freedom to do what he wants to do, to, to live life how he wants to live. And so Matthew tells the story of King Herod and the religious leaders, the ones who the book know the book of the scriptures, the one that have the Bible in front of them, the one with all of the knowledge, the ones who should have known they were actually in the dark about the Messiah. But the third response to God's revelation is from the Magi. And it's a response of faith and worship. These foreigners, these pagans, these non-Jews, these stargazers, the ones who should have been in the dark, they actually discovered the light. And they respond with faith and worship in Jesus. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to a rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their gifts, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, these wise men, these magi, they followed the star of a God who they previously never knew. They worship a baby king from a religion that wasn't even their religion. Matthew shows us the story where the pagan worship, while the religious leaders, the religious right people don't really care. And while the Jewish king tries to cling to his power, these, these pagans, these people that we would least expect are the ones who come to the light of who Jesus is and what Jesus means in their lives. And I want you to see clearly what it means for us to, to worship Jesus. I want you to see clearly from these magi, from these pagans, how we are to worship. First thing it says in verse 11 it says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Falling to the ground is what you do to someone else. When you are saying, you are high and I am low. You are a great dignity, but I am low in comparison. You are king and I am not. You are righteous and I am not. You are worthy and I am not. That's what that typifies by them falling down on their knees to, to worship. They're saying, you deserve the throne. I don't. I surrender myself to you. I submit myself to you. I will follow you, you Messiah, you new, newborn king. And secondly, the second part of verse 11 says, 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we could look at those gold and that, for that frankincense. Don't be confused with Frankenstein. Frankincense and myrrh. We could try and tell what those gifts meant. But again, that's not the point. The point of these gifts was to point to the worth and the value of worshiping God. These magi are saying to Jesus, they're saying, we have not come to you in hopes of what we can receive from you, but rather of giving ourselves to you. These gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they, they were things that these wise men might enjoy. They were things these wise men, they could sell and they could live off and they could have joy. But by giving them to Jesus, they are authentically saying, Jesus, you are my treasure. You are worth more than these things that we treasure. You are worth more than, than, than these things that we take pride in. Jesus, you are worth more than things I value and hold most dearly. You are more valuable than what any of these items could do for me. This is what worship is. Worship is both of these things. It is us humbling ourselves to say, God, you are God, I am not. God, you are righteous and I am broken. God, you are holy and I'm a sinner. God, you are God and I'm not. God, you deserve the spot up of the throne and God, I don't. And additionally, it's also giving up the things that we hold most precious because we truly believe that Jesus is greater than anything else. I mean, that's something that we do lip, lip service to. Oh, of course, Jesus, you are greater. You are greater than everything else except for my bank account, except for the things that I watch on the computer, except for these other parts of my life. Jesus, you are greater except for these things that I'm going to hold on to because I don't want to give those to you because you're really not greater than that. So as I was studying this passage, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking, this is a Christmas passage. We hear year after year after year. Who cares? What does a story matter to us? This story took place 2,000 years ago. Why do we care about it now? Here's why I think this story is so important for us to hear today. Yes, this story happened 2,000 years ago. But this story is still happening today. God is still revealing himself, and he will continue to do that just as he did 2,000 years ago. God is still sovereign. God is still working through our world and through our lives to reveal himself and to reveal his plans just as he did 2,000 years ago. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you came to church today because you followed a star. Maybe there's a star that led you to this place. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. God can still do that. And, you know, that'd be awesome. I'd love to see that. But more often, what God does is God's sovereignty, it works through people that he puts in our lives. God's sovereignty works through conversations that begin to challenge our self-consumed thoughts and feelings. God begins to put circumstances that most of the time we don't understand, let alone we don't even want in our lives. God begins to put these things in our lives for a reason, for a purpose, because God says, I want to reveal something to you. I want to break into your life today. I want to send this star and say, I'm revealing something important and valuable to you today. 
These things and our lives, these people, these conversations, these circumstances, they aren't random chance that these things are happening in our lives. The prophet Isaiah says in verse chapter 45, verses 6 and 7, he says, The people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Here he says, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God's saying, I break into the monotony of your life so I can reveal myself to you, so I can reveal my plan for you, so I can reveal what I want from your life. And just as God caused the Romans to census the entire Roman world, just as God caused a star to miraculously appear that led the Magi to worship the Savior, God, the the sovereign God and creator of the whole universe, he's, he's orchestrating things within your life, within leading you to the place where you might be able to find exactly what Jesus has for you. You might be able to find Jesus as your Savior. He's been orchestrating these things in your life. And I would even dare to say, that is why you are here today. It's because God has been bringing all of these things so that you would be here today. So that God would have the opportunity to reveal himself to you. To say, this is what I have for you today. The, the question is, though, when God interrupts into your life, when God tries to reveal himself to you, Will you find God above your head? Will you see the revelation that God has been intentionally putting in your life? Or will you be like Herod and the religious leaders and be oblivious and blind to what God is doing right before your own eyes? Yes, I know it's an interruption. Yes, I know God coming into your life is not what you had planned. But where else will you find true freedom? Where else will you find true forgiveness? Where else will you find true salvation? Where else will you find everlasting hope, everlasting love, everlasting peace? You don't find it anywhere else except through the Savior. And so when we find God above our heads, when we see what God is doing to break into our world, to break into our life, the question is, how will you respond? How will you respond to God in your life? Will you respond like the scribes and the chief priests and the religious leaders? Will you be completely indifferent to what God is doing in your life? This is probably the most dangerous response Because being indifferent doesn't necessarily mean that you don't believe who God is and what he wants. But you're just so consumed with other things that you aren't really going to do anything about it. Yeah, I know this is who God is. I know this is what God wants. And and that's great. And I'll show up to church on Easter. I'll show up to church on Christmas. And that's good. But I don't want really to do anything beyond that. Because I'm so consumed with everything I have in front of me. And I'm going to keep plowing ahead to what I want in my life. Yeah, yeah, God is, that God thing is great, and I'll, and I'll do that every once in a while, but I'm just going to be consumed with my own agenda. That is the most dangerous response. When God breaks into your life, will you respond like Herod, with a tremendous hostility towards God? There are some in here today that this God stuff, it boils deep down 
underneath your skin. Because we want to be in charge, don't we? We, we want to call the shots. We want to be able to do whatever we want to do. We want to do whatever we want to do without being concerned about what God has for our life. We want to experience freedom, right? And if Jesus really is the Messiah, if Jesus really is the Savior of the world, if he's really the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then that means that he's king and I'm not. That means that he's in charge and I'm not. That means that, and so what we do is instead of surrendering to him as the king of kings and lord of lords, we create hostility. We create division. We create obstacles to faith because we don't really want to surrender and give ourselves away. Isn't that why? Isn't that why there are legal battles that prevent manger scenes at Christmas time? To silence all mention of Jesus in the workplace, in the schools, and other public settings? Isn't that because of the hostility where we don't want God to tell us what to do? We don't want to surrender and say there is a higher power that we have to submit to. But you see, if you and I were to look around at the world around us, countries without freedom of worship, nobody is truly happy. Nobody is truly safe. Nobody is truly free. Or lastly, when God breaks into your life, when God's revelation comes, will you respond like the Magi? Will you worship Jesus? Will you drop to your knees in surrender saying, God, God, you're God and I'm not. God, you are great and I am small. God, you are strong. And I am weak. God, I need you in my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your power. I need your victory. God, I need you today. Look, I don't know how God is speaking to you. I don't know how God is trying to break into your life and what God is trying to reveal to you. But I know that there are some in here today who you need to surrender to Jesus. You need to say, I'm going to stop being hostile to God. I'm going to stop being indifferent to God. And I'm going to choose to say, today, I'm going to become a Christian. Some of you today, that is a response that you need to make. You've been battling it for such a long time. Today, today, would you surrender to Jesus as your Savior? No more going through the motions. No more having one foot on both sides. Come forward today and pray to receive Jesus as your Savior. Some of you today, you know what God has been working on you for. You know that there has been this sin in your life. This, this, this sin that has been entangling you. That you've tried to keep secret. You've tried to, to manage on your own. And today, some of you need to come and confess that sin. Because you know it's been eating you alive. You know that it will destroy you. Don't be like the scribes and like Herod. Confess that sin to Jesus because there's so much freedom. There's so much freedom for you when you come clean and you make things right with God. Freedom that you can't even imagine. Some of you, some of you, you need to experience hope. You need to experience love and grace and forgiveness. And you need to open yourself up to say, Jesus, this is what I need to receive today. 
Some of you, God might be speaking to you about committing to this church or getting involved by serving or sharing the gospel with your family and friends. Whatever it is today. However, God is breaking into your Christmas this year. I invite you to respond like the Magi. To respond with faith and worship. Because that star, that star that represented so many years ago, 2,000 years ago, is still is happening today. God is still breaking into our lives. God is still trying to say, I have something special for you. The question is, will we respond like the Magi? Will we open ourselves up to what God has in our lives? Over the next 10 minutes, the worship team will lead us in a couple of songs of response. And I encourage you to take this time just between you and the Lord. Take that time. If you need to sit and you need to just pray between you and God, please, please do that. If you would like to, to, to say, hey, I, I would love to have, Pastor, would you pray for me? Pastor, here's where I'm at. Here's where God is breaking into my life. And I don't understand it. But I want to surrender myself to what God has for me. And you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Or, or would you talk with me through this? They'll all be up here during these songs. We'll have a couple of counselors. If you'd like to come forward during these songs, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And if you just need to spend some time in worship and, and praise to our Savior, I encourage you, just close your eyes. Lift your hands and get lost in worship for the next few minutes of praising the fact that Jesus came as your Savior, that Jesus came to be your hope, that Jesus came to be your answer. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful that you haven't left us out here on our own. That, God, you have broken into our world to speak to every one of us, to call every one of us into a relationship with you. God, I know that there are some in here today, God, who have been going through the motions, that, God, have, who have yet to surrender their life into a relationship with you. God, I pray that this Christmas time, today would be the day that they surrender themselves and say, God, I know that star has been there. And God, I've been avoiding it. God, I pray that today would be the day that they surrender themselves to you. That they say, I'm going to stop being indifferent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop being hostile. But today, I'm going to surrender myself and invite Jesus into my life. I'm going to give him control. I'm going to see him as Lord and Savior. God, I pray for those in here today. If that's you, God, I pray that you would pray this prayer with me today. That you would say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I am broken. I know that I cannot make it to you on my own. And God, today, today, I receive you as my Savior. I invite you into my life to say, God, you are my Savior You are on the throne and I am not. God, I will follow you. I will be obedient to you. And God, today I receive you. God, today I come into a relationship with you. God, thank you for saving me. If you pray that prayer today, praise God. Praise God that you have received the hope offered through Emmanuel, God, with us. 
God, for those of us who carry these burdens, who, God, we just need to experience your grace today. God, I pray that you would show up and that you would be our hope. That you would be the hope for why we live. The hope for why we wake up every day. That, God, we would see that you are working your plan out. That, God, you have not left us alone. That, God, you are working and you are are living and you are active in our lives to the point that you are drawing us to you today. That we can worship you. That we can surrender ourselves to you. That we can cry out to you. And that, God, you hear every prayer. You hear every cry. God, I pray as we celebrate this Christmas season, as we talk about hope, That we'd realize hope is not found under the tree. Hope is not found in in Christmas parties and in Christmas vacation. But hope is found in you. God, I pray that you would help us now just to worship you and praise you for who you are. That we would take these few minutes to, to get our souls aligned to you. To the hope that you offer through Jesus in the manger. And Jesus' death on the cross. We love you and we praise you and we ask this in your name. Amen.